Good morning. How are you? Are you okay? Isn't it beautiful to join together in worship and praise the Lord? To hear his words spoken by children. It's so powerful. What I felt to talk about today came of about, I think, three, three conversations I've had since I've been, been back in, in Scotland. And it was talking with people about the Bible and about Jesus. And three, three of these people said, oh, I only want to read what Jesus said. I only want to read the red letters. And I can see their point to a small degree, but oh my gosh, they are missing out on God. They're missing out on Jesus through the whole Bible. Because I, I said this at a house group the other day. I don't know if you realize Jesus was there right at the beginning in Genesis. In creation, you've got the Father there speaking the world into being, speaking the stars and the, all the creatures into being, and the Holy Spirit is hovering. But where's Jesus in that? And it's, you've got you've to go back and be a little bit geeky and nerdy like me. And the, the word for God that's first used in there is Elohim. Which, and it's a plural, that Elohim, it's, it's, it's God that I am, God that I am the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when it comes to when, when God's pulled all the dirt together to make Adam out of the earth, which is called a dharma, so we're made of carbon and nitrogen and oxygen, all, all the chemicals that are in the earth make us up. When it comes to the one who breathes into Adam, there's a little, uh, there was the word Elohim, and then a little circumflex underneath it. And that means God come to earth. And that's the first description of Jesus. And that is used more than once through the whole of the Bible for Jesus. God come to earth. So Jesus was there right at the beginning. So I started to tell them about this. And then I was reminded of just this little talk that uh, the leader of my organization wrote. So if you'll forgive me, I'm going to read someone else's words. One day I was asked, who is this Jesus that you're talking about? And I answered, he's the creator of Genesis. He's the liberator of Exodus. And he's the high priest of Leviticus. He's the good spy of Numbers. And he is the lawgiver of Deuteronomy. He's the conqueror of Joshua. What's his name? Come on, everyone, you need to know. Because he's the one who will never leave you nor forsake you, just like Joshua promised. He's the good and righteous judge of judges, and he's the kinsman redeemer of the book of Ruth. He's the second David and the greater in the first and second books of Samuel. He's the king of kings of the book of kings, and he's the record keeper of the book of Chronicles. He rebuilds the temple in Ezra, and Jesus will re rebuild your temple too, if you let him in. And that means into, let him into your family, into your marriage and your relationships and your friendships. And even into the broken areas of your life. Let him into everything because he's the one who rebuilds the walls of protection in Nehemiah. He's the king of Esther who gives the edict to save his people. He's the one Job talked about when he said, I know my redeemer lives. And when Job got that revelation, Jesus gave him double for his trouble. In Psalms, he's the object of our praise. Proverbs demonstrates he is the wisdom of God. Ecclesiastes' great preacher is Jesus. And he's the lover of our soul in the Song of Solomon. He's high and lifted up in the temple of Isaiah and is the suffering servant. And then in Jeremiah, he's the weeping prophet. The tears of God are his in lamentations. He's the bronze one of Ezekiel before whom Ezekiel fell. The finger wrote on the wall for Belshazzar. It was his finger, but he was the fourth man in the furnace. And yes, he was in the den of, den of lions with Daniel. 
And after you've been through the furnaces, that your faith will allow you to no longer call him master, but call him husband, just like Hosea tells us to. In Joel, he's the latter rain revival, and there is no revival without Jesus. And he must be exalted above all. And he is the cascading justice of Amos. He is the judge of the nations in Obadiah. And Jesus is the second God of the second chance. Aren't you glad you got second chances? Just like Jonah got, and a third, and a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth, and a seventh, and an eighth. As many as you need, God will give you those chances. In Micah, he's the one who does justice and loves mercy and walks humbly. And he's the wrath of God of Nahum. In Habakkuk, he is the glory that the people are going to know throughout the world as the waters cover the sea. He is the glory of God. In Zephaniah, he sings over us with joy. In Haggai, he's the one that shakes the earth. And haven't we felt it in the world recently? The shaking of economies in Europe and subsequently worldwide. And in Greece, in tsunamis and earthquakes in, in Samoa, Tonga, Vanuatu, Indonesia, Philippines, Haiti, Chile, Christchurch, Japan, Spain, volcanoes in Iceland, tornadoes, not only in Tornado Valley, but in Britain, even in Britain. And it's not over. The world is shaking right now. But in Zechariah, he's the one who washes the robes of the high priest. And in there, he says to you and to me, it's not by your might and not by your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And he brings together the generations in, in Malachi, sons to the fathers, fathers to the sons. And he's the Messiah of Matthew. He is the supreme commander of Mark. He's the son of man of Luke. He's the son of God of John, and he is the builder of the church of Acts. He's the second Adam of Romans, and he also brings to us the Abba Father. The Abba Father, so that we are adopted into his royal family. Hallelujah. He is the love that is greater than faith and hope in 1 Corinthians. And he's the true apostle of 2 Corinthians. And he's all nine fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. In Ephesians, he is the chief cornerstone, but is also the full armor of God. In Philippians, he empties himself of the glories of heaven and he put on human form, identifying with us in our sin. He died and went to the bottom of hell, a hell that was rejoicing because they thought they'd just won, but they weren't expecting the uninvited guest, Jesus, who took the keys from the gates of death and hell and the grave and God highly exalted him above every name. And at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Colossians says, his, worlds hold, sorry, his word holds our world together. And it will hold you together. It will hold your family together. It will hold your ministry together. It will hold your life together. In 1 Thessalonians, he's the caring father and the nursing mother. He's the king coming the second time in the second book of Thessalonians. And he's coming. He's the one mediator between God and man in Timothy. And he's the multi-generational God of grandmother and mother in Timothy. In Titus, he's the one that cleanses the church, the people of God, because in Philemon, he's the one that frees the slaves. He's also the author and finisher of our faith, author and finisher of our faith in Hebrews. And he's not only the high priest of Melchizedek, but he's the good work of James that without faith is dead. We need those good works too. In First Peter, when Nero was burning Christians and feeding them to the lions, he said, cast your cares upon me. And in Second Peter, he's precious. 
In 1 John, he'll say, if you confess your sins to me, I'll be faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And he said, if you know me, you'll love me. And if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In 2 John, he's the perfect pastor. In 3 John, he loves the stranger. For those who are involved in missions, he's a real pioneering missionary that supports pioneering missions. But he also supports you and brings you into family. In the little book of Jude, he's the majesty and the glory and the power of God and the, the Lord come to earth. And then we enter the book that's called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Please note, this is not the revelation of the Antichrist. This is not the revelation of the devil. This is exposing, exposing them and how Jesus overcomes them. See Jesus in it, in the book of Revelation. See Jesus in the nations surrounding you. I don't know how many nations are in this room today, but I think quite a few. He's in the tribes and the languages and the ethnicities glorifying him. And Jesus is winning right now. He's winning in you because you're here. He's winning because winning you're hearing the word and the word changes our lives. And he's called the Almighty. And the Almighty doesn't lose, otherwise he's not Almighty. But what's his name? What's his name? Who is the book within the book? And which book needs to get into every home within the world? You, you ask Jesus if he doesn't want you to do this, if he doesn't want you to speak to people about God. It will totally change the direction of the world as we begin to get the word of God out. We'll see evangelism begin to not only hit the mark, but to go deep. As we get it out with his anointing, it'll be through his love that it'll be received. Your season has come. Your time is now. God has anointed you as a people of God. Don't just make it a meeting with God. Make it a meeting with Jesus, intimately. Not just a meeting in the church, but meeting with Jesus. Ask him if he wants you to do it. And don't leave until you get a word from God. Pray, stay, hang on to him because he wants you to do it and don't don't leave because he's the word and he's the word within the word and his name is Jesus you know him you've met him otherwise you wouldn't be here what an incredible God we have so can you see Jesus through the whole Bible there can you see more of his nature and character and how he is and how he how he works in righteousness and how he touches us hang on to that and start to read not just the red letters of Jesus words not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well. And it's a challenge. It's not always easy to understand what he's meaning. Do that. Talk together. Find out from each other, what did you think that meant? What was that? Why did he do that? Why, why did the Jews do this? Why did the Hebrews do that? Why did the Christians do this? Talk together. That's what house group is about, where you've, you do the nitty-gritty and you go deeper. So hang in there and do it. Can I have that PowerPoint slide? So what I want to do now is just change tack just a little bit because I think what we're talking about is the Lordship of Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But often we ask that question, well, okay, I've learned that, but how do I live now? How do I, how do I step forward? And this is, this is about a four-hour teaching, and I'm not going to keep you for four hours, just three and a half. If that's, <laughs> you can see Dave Barry going, oh. Psalm 127.1 states, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. And it's true. It's true. And this is, this is kind of an image of, of how we can set up our lives with God, how we can set our lives up 
to live in a godly way. And if you look at the top left and top right there, you've got worship and prayer. They are absolutely critical to living a godly life and living a life that you'd be proud of, a life where God is, God is in control. God's sitting on the throne in your life. If you don't do worship and prayer, your life will get blown apart. And I've seen it when people don't do it. And it's, I've, I've had moments where I haven't. And it's very precarious. You're not building your house on rock. And that's what he tells us to do. Build your house on rock, not on sand. Jesus Christ in the bottom there. Jesus is the cornerstone and the rock and the foundation of everything in our lives. And if he's not, you need to look at what's going on in your life and make it about God. Make it that security and safety in Christ. And it's very possible. I came, for a, I came from a life where I wasn't a believer. And I was blown left and right by all kinds of things. If I had an argument with somebody, it, it wrecked me for days. Now if I have an argument with somebody or a disagreement with somebody, it doesn't destroy me because I know my identity in Christ that he's the foundation there, no matter what they said to me, even if they were being horrible and mean. I, okay, that, that's not me. You're talking about someone else. And I'm who Jesus Christ says I am, not who you guys say I am, who my mom says I am. I'm who Jesus says I am. Are you who Jesus says you are? Have you worked that out yet? Have you got that inside? You're who Jesus says you are. 1 John 3, 1. One of my favorite scriptures. How great the love that is lavished upon us that we may be called children of God and that we are. <gasps> that love is lavished. It's not drip fed. It's not just a wee bit. It's lavished on us. He loves us completely. He's loved you all the days of your life. He's loved you from the, before you were born, when, before you were knitted together in your mother's womb from Psalm 139. Be, be really secure in that love. Really build that up inside you. Because that love, which is the big, wide, pink pillar, and it's the biggest one intentionally, because it's agape. That's the, that's the word, the, the love of God that is unending and will not stop and will not give up on you and will keep loving you. But then there's also storge. Uh, that's a Greek word. It's your, it's your self-identity. It's it's how you feel loved, how you feel secure, how you feel strong in the love of God. And our self-esteem gets chipped away so often. For women, it's so often in magazines. And you see these incredibly beautiful women that are no real reflection on, on proper women because it's been airbrushed. It's been photoshopped and it's been faked. They don't actually look like that. But somehow in our hearts, we, we start to feel we're not good enough. You know, is my waist slim enough? Am I... Am I enough boobs or whatever. I know I talked about that in church, forgive me. But it's, they were made by God and it's, it's in Song of Solomon, but it's an identity thing. When we start to realize that God loves us and we pour into those love tanks of ourselves and we listen to what God's saying to us, it builds us up and it makes you stronger. The world is being attacked in that way. Men now are subject to so many of the same sort of imagery. If you, you watch a Marvel superhero film, the guys are totally unrealistic. No one looks like that. No, no one, oh my gosh, the, the effort to try and look even remotely like that, and then they Photoshop all of that as well. Who wants to be Thor and go through 10 hours of weightlifting every day? You're not going to have a life. All you do is lift weights and, and eat protein. Yeah, 
Your identity is different from that. Guys, you are wonderful just as you are. You are beloved. You are men of God. You've been designed by God to be men. Hallelujah. I like men. I also like women. Hallelujah that the women are made in the image of God too. You're beautiful. You're, you bring joy to the world in a way that a man can't. You bring something that men can't and men bring something we can't. It's so powerful when you realize that agape love and then that storge that sits in there. And then this filio, brotherly love. That's the stuff that allows men to go and fight in trenches together and go and, go and face warfare together. It's the thing that draws men together to, to go and look at car engines and find it fantastic. Why chromosome? Why? I don't know, but they do. It, but it's the thing that brings men together. But women have that too, the sisterhood. When you're at school doing the school dances and the boys are at one side and the girls at the other and the guys have to walk the gauntlet and go near to the, near to the girls and say, are you dancing? I, I'm, I'm, I, I, are you asking? I, and then I'm dancing. But it's very brave of the guys to come and do that because they've got to face all the girls together. But that sisterhood is very powerful. It holds women together. Women meet together much more easily than guys do. Men need to be doing something. Women just need coffee or tea. But guys, do it. Do it and meet together. Have the men's breakfast, the curry nights that's happened in the past. Build them up again. Come together and break bread together. And that filio, that brotherly love, that sisterly love will lift you up. We stand together and we kneel together. Do it. Don't just sit alone. Don't be a Christian alone. Meet with people. It's so much easier to stand in God. If I put a chair up there and got someone young and fit to stand on it, it'd be quite easy to pull them off because they're standing there alone. But you surround them by, by six brothers. You'd never be able to pull them off. And it's the same with the devil. He, if you're standing together, the devil can't pull you apart. If you're standing together in God, it's such a powerful thing and it's so essential to live in that life of love. And the last one is eros, the love between a husband and a wife that keeps, a fact, keeps people together. It's such a powerful thing. Don't misuse it. But love, we can love other people because we're loved first. We can love the unlovable. When I was in New Zealand, I was, I was a prison pastor and I spent a lot of time with unlovable guys. Guys who'd been told all their life they were terrible and worthless and useless. And the only power they had was when they were in the gangs. The only respect they got when they were in the gangs. And then they were in prison and they'd had a judge with all the robes on and the wig pointing a finger and saying, you have no right to be in society. You're not fit. The rejection in their lives was palpable. But as I started to teach them about the love of God, started to teach them about the people in the Bible who were weak and broken and hurting, and then that redemption arc that God gives to people, they started to realize they actually could be loved. And it took weeks and years for these guys to walk that journey. But it's okay to take weeks and years to walk that journey of knowing that you're loved, that you are lovable, that everyone in this room has got some ugliness in them. We've done stuff and we've said stuff that you just think, oh, can I just press rewind and delete? We've all done stuff, but God knows that and he still loves you. Can you love yourself? Can you do that storge? Can you love yourself? We're told to, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. 
yeah, I, for a long time I found it quite easy to love neighbours, but I couldn't love me. Because I looked in the mirror and I could see in my eyes all the stuff that I'd done, all the, the crazy thoughts that went through my head and the moments where I just was not the person I would like to be on my best day. And then I realised when God saved me, that day that he raised me up out of the miry clay was the same God that loves me today. And if he loved me then, he loves me now. Because now he already knew what I would do, what I would think, how I would be. And he loved me. And that, that cross, that amazing cross, that act of stunning love meant that I was loved. And I tell you today, if you, if you were the last person in this room if you were the only person in this room, he would still go through that for you. We, were, we just had Easter, Easter week. And that love is for you and is not against you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I promise you. And Joshua, when Joshua is, and, the, and the guys, they're, they're looking into the, in, into the land of milk and honey. And they, they see the giants before them. And they get encouraged that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And whatever you're facing, the giants in your land today, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will love you and support you and lead you through it all. Doesn't mean it will be perfect. In fact, he says, in this life you will face tribulation, but in me you shall find peace for I have overcome the world. Hang on to those things. Hang on to Jesus with all your might, all your strength, all your hope. And sometimes it feels like God comes in the last second and you wonder if it could possibly be changed. But he does, because that's who God is. He's faithful and he arrives on time. He's not Gandalf the wizard who comes to exactly when he wants to. This is God and he has, it. he has you in plan. You're not a surprise to him. He can handle it. Trust him. Hand it to him. Because, you know, in that loving relationship, you're safe. There was a friend of mine, uh, Bob Sorge, who works out of the Kansas City House of Prayer. And the way he talks about it is beautiful. He, he, in his head, he imagines the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit just stood in a circle and they've got their arms around each other. And they are planning and they are organizing the world. And they're listening to the prayers. They're receiving everything from mankind. They receive even our tears. And then Bob comes up like a little toddler and walks up and just puts his hands up. And God picks him up and sits him on his hip. And then they just continue. And you're in that place of safety. Because all that he's saying there is, Daddy, I'm home. Daddy, I'm home. What a beautiful thing. Uh, God is called Abba Father, which means Daddy. means Father. But it's loving. It's, it's beautiful. So come and sit on his hip. Be picked up by God today and say, Daddy, I'm home. And you're with him. And he'll walk you through it all. That, that love to love other people also includes forgiveness. Forgiveness is critical to the life we live. For a long time, I was not very good at forgiveness. My idea of forgiveness was to just to not take revenge. Because then that's forgiveness, isn't it? And I was, doing, I was falling very, very short of the mark. Somewhere in there, and somewhere in there I knew it was wrong. But I didn't know how to forgive. Scotland is not the most forgiving culture. We're a grudge-bearing culture. I only realized that when I moved out of Scotland and I was able to look back. But we are. We're a grudge-bearing culture, and we've got, to, we've got to be different. So how does forgiveness start? It starts through gritted teeth. 
I forgive them. And in about three seconds, you grab it back. But they were terrible. And then, no, okay. I forgive them. And you grab it back. And you forgive them for a while, and you think you're doing okay. And then they'd go and do something stupid again. And you get on this ladder of anger. You know, you were already on the first stop, the first step that you step down to say, I forgive them. But when they screw up again, you're on the third step, and you're climbing. And you're waiting to be offended, and you're waiting to be annoyed with people. That's the time just to stop and go, God, help. How do I forgive these people? How do I walk into that place? And again, it starts with you speak it out. Speak it out loud. Even if you, you know, just in the room yourself, God, I forgive them. God, help me forgive them. God, help me walk in this and help me forgive. Lord, I need your help to forgive. And keep going and keep going. And then he may ask you to do something uncomfortable. He may ask you to be nice to the person. Uh, I had a leader that I really struggled with. Uh, she made me cry about every other week at work because we, we just saw the world differently. In her view, in her point of view, everything was duty. You know, we've got this job to do, so this has got to be done, this has got to be done, and this has got to be done. And she missed the people who were at her feet that she was treading on as she was doing it. And I would get really mad with her, and she would make me cry. And then, after I'd forgiven her, and forgiven her, and grabbed it back, and forgiven her, and took it back again when she said something else, God said, be nice to her. God, I don't want to be nice to her. Do I have to? And I realized I sounded like a whiny three-year-old. Oh, mom, do I have to? So I decided I was going to compliment her every day. And it was not always easy because I didn't want to do it. And I realized there was something in my heart that didn't want to do it. But I started and I said, Cheryl, it's good to see you today. Thank Thank you for leading today. You're, you're a great leader. And I walked away thinking, well, yeah, she actually is quite a good leader, but she's missing some stuff. And I thought I, I would advise God about the stuff that she's missing so God could help her. So I did those prayers advising God, and then I realized how dumb that sounded because God already knew. <laughs> and then I realized I was the one needing help as well. So I, I complimented her every day for about six weeks. And she wasn't really reacting very much. She'd kind of do, and walk off. And then her husband came up to me, and Ross says to me, keep going. I said, what do you mean, keep going? He said, she's starting to believe you. <laughs> I said, but she's finding it hard, so keep being nice to her. And so I thought, okay, I'll keep being nice to her. And I thought, and it felt like I was doing a duty. It felt like I was doing it because I had to, not because I wanted to. And I realized God was doing something in that 30 centimeter drop down to my heart from understanding intellectually I needed to do something, but picking up the heart of God. So I started to compliment her twice a day. And you know what? It changed my heart towards her as I started to build her up. And it changed her heart towards everyone else. Slowly, that forgiveness turned into friendship. And we've been friends now for 16 years. We still sometimes struggle with each other because I see the world in terms of people and love and caring. She sees the world in terms of duty and getting things done and production. Just a different viewpoint within, within life of how you see the world. But it changed things for us. It changed from being, I forgive you, 
to, she's my friend. We rub against each other occasionally, but she's still my friend, and I still trust her, and I still like her, and she trusts me, and she builds me up now as well. Because I chose to love. Who do you need to love today? Who do you need to change your attitude towards? Uh, another Kiwi friend of mine says, mate, you've got stinking thinking. And he was, again, he was right. I didn't want to hear it when he told me that, but he was right. Are you going to act in love? Are you going to act in agape to people around you? Are you going to love the unlovable? That doesn't mean you trust them. And the next pillar there is a little narrow pillar. Trust is broken awfully easily. Trust, trust is shattered in seconds by a careless word, a careless act. And we've all shattered trust towards us and we've all had our trust to other people shattered. But once you're in that place of knowing that you're loved, you can trust people a little bit. Jesus didn't trust everybody that he ever met. He trusted them in different ways. He trusted Judas to betray him. He trusted the Roman soldiers to nail him to a cross. He trusted Caiaphas and the Pharisees and the Sadducees to challenge him and make it difficult for him every day. He loved them completely. He died on the cross for them. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. But he, he trusted them the right amount. Sometimes we have to reassess how much we trust each other. With Cheryl, and I'm using this example from my own life, I had to learn to trust her the right amount. Because I'd kind of come into Christianity with big wide eyes that, oh my gosh, isn't it God's great? Aren't these Christians great? Isn't life great? And then I got a few knockbacks and a few bumps along the way. So I had to learn to reassess how much I trust people. You don't have to trust someone who's a, who's a nightmare to you. You don't have to trust someone who's going to hurt you every day. The requirement is to love them. So learn how to trust. When you've got, when you've got kids growing up, you've got, as, they, as they're age appropriate, you give them more and more things to trust with. And you, know, you, don't, trust, you don't trust a 13-year-old with, with something you would expect from a 17-year-old or a 2-year-old with something you would expect from a 5-year-old. It develops over time. So it's okay to have a movable standard of trust for people. What isn't okay is to have a movable standard of love. Love people anyway. And once you learn how much to trust them, then you can start to do respect and honor. That's the big blue pillar. Because as you learn about people, you can start to respect them. Because you start to see where they come from. I had to learn where Cheryl came from. I had to recognize what her giftings and her strengths were. So I could then respect that, that part of her life that was amazing. And I learned to honor her. Within Christianity, we need to create a culture of honor. We need to, we need to create a culture where we honor the men, we honor the women, we honor the children, we honor each other and love each other. But that comes through understanding. So when someone tells you a story, listen to their story. It's such a privilege to be told that because then you can understand them better. And understanding that last, last of the four vertical pillars means your love is in a great place. But again, we love because Christ loves us. And we trust, learning to trust the right amount. We respect and honor as we start to understand people. And it's a powerful thing. This is how you build your life. Husbands and wives, you need to study each other. You need to learn how... What are their ways? 
women, we need to understand man speak. And it's not always easy. And men, you have to learn women speak. And I know that's really difficult for you. But it's possible. Uh, the last thing I'm going to talk about was about that respect and understanding and love. And it's an example from my mom and dad. Before my dad died, I was, ba I was back here and having a visit. And we were, watching, we were watching National Geographic, I think it was, on the TV. And dad's kind of half asleep, but he's got the death grip on the, on the TV remote. And then the adverts came on. And he starts to channel surf. And mom's knitting away. And then he goes... <sighs> And mum knits a bit more, a bit harder. And so dad channel surfs a bit more and mum puts her knitting down and goes and turns the kettle on. And I'm thinking, he didn't say anything. <laughs> that, was, that was interesting. And then she came back in and started knitting. And you heard the kettle boil and click. And dad looks across at mum and she's knitting. And he's, and he's channel surfing. So mum goes, oh, and goes and makes him a cup of tea. Comes back and he looks up at her and goes, it's a little puggy lip and she goes away and gets the bis gets a biscuit for him and he just looks at it like this is the worst biscuit I've ever had in my life it, it was one of those those nice biscuits that has no taste it's, it's actually possible to have something with no taste and so he kind of does a big sigh leans around her and starts channel surfing and mum went mm goes back in and gets him a chocolate biscuit, hands him a chocolate biscuit, and he goes, hmm, and he puts it back onto National Geographic. Mum sits down, starts knitting, and Dad goes to sleep. <laughs> when you've known each other 50 years, you can have an argument and solve it without saying a word. <laughs> but until that point, keep talking, keep learning, keep gaining understanding, because when you do, you see people are incredible. You see that people are fearfully and wonderfully made. And in that place of being secure in the love of God. You can love other people. You can respect them. You know how much to trust them. And you've gained understanding of them. At some point, they will let you down. Every person will let you down in some way at some point. But rebuild that trust. Rebuild that trust. Allow people to make mistakes. And hopefully they'll allow you to make mistakes too. But have Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of your faith. As Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life with the Holy Spirit filling you and guiding you, reuniting you with the Father in heaven. And then he can say it was worth it. It was worth it because of you, because of you, because of them, because of me. That was worth it. Hallelujah. And in that place of great love of, of God, we grow. And we have our 70-year training program for heaven. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm confident of the good work that has begun in you that will be complete when Jesus returns. And it should have in brackets, so stop trying to be a perfectionist because you've not got it yet. But he's begun the good work in you. And then one fine day, when we close our eyes, and then when we open again, we'll see Jesus coming on the clouds. And hallelujah, we'll be with him in heaven. I've had this prayer for years. I want to be there with King David as the doorkeeper, you know, letting people into, into, the, into the worship place. That would be fantastic. But I, I, I changed my mind on that. I don't want to just be a doorkeeper. I want to be in there worshiping the Lord for eternity. Because he loves me. Because he loves you. Because he transforms your life. Because he promises to change things in your life and make you strong, make you whole. Because he'll come in on your weakness and make you strong. When you're at the end of your rope, when you're exhausted, he will lend you strength. 
to rise on wings like eagles, to run and not grow weary. And I've seen God do this time and time again. And he will do it to you. He will do it for you. He will do it with you. All to, his, all to the glory of the Father. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, I want to thank you so much that you do love us. It seems incredible some days that you do love us, that you do care. Because we seem so unworthy of that love and that trust. Lord, come and work in us. Make us a little bit more worthy each day. Help us to know you more. That we're guided by you and led by you. Come and touch our lives today. Come and speak to us in hope and faith. But in every, and above everything in love. Make us more and more aware of that you're the same yesterday, today and forever. And that whilst we go up and down and we make mistakes and we walk out our salvation, you, you, you lift us up. You raise us up. We bless you, Lord. We bless you and thank you for who you are. And we invite you to do amazing things. Come and take our brokenness and our stupidity and our willing rebellion and replace that, those ashes with beauty. Make the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen.